Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. The intro song, Fishing for Pets, is written and composed by Alan Goldscher from his latest release, Live at the Lakeview Lounge. Thank you for joining the podcast. Today's guest is Paul Gamble, the co-founder and CEO of Nori. Nori is doing its part to help the environment by creating a marketplace for carbon offset credits. By focusing on a farmland technique called regenerative farming, Nori uses soil as a carbon capture technique to sell a Nori removal ton, or an NRT. We'll get into what an NRT is, how corporations and individuals can buy NRTs, and how Nori uses the blockchain to create a tradable commodity that also helps the environment. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Paul. All right, guys. So really happy today. We have uh, our guest today, Paul Gamble. He's the CEO of a company called Nori, and they are a carbon offset company. They do a bunch of different things, but this kind of adds on to our line of guests that we've had talking about farmland. Paul, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, really excited to get into Nori, what it is that you're doing. And so I think one place to start for listeners is just kind of talking about your business, right? Carbon offset credits and what those are and kind of like who's uh, buying these credits. So Nori started in 2017 and it, it came out of the idea I was wondering back in 2015, how would you solve climate change? How could we make this whole problem go away? Because back then I was just looking looking at a lot of mitigation efforts to make climate change less bad. And it seemed somewhat straightforward to me that if the problem is that we put too much greenhouse gas up in the atmosphere, then the solution is let's pull it back out. And I was wondering why no one was working on this anywhere that I could find in 2015. And over the next couple of years, I had started a meetup group to learn more about how you could remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and eventually came to the conclusion that, okay, there are plenty of ways that we know how to do today right now. They're just not happening at any sort of significant scale. So what's missing here is a financial incentive for people to pull carbon out of the air. And that's what Nori is. So we are a marketplace for carbon removal, where on the supply side, we work with people who are removing and sequestering carbon and making sure that it's staying out of the atmosphere. And in this case today, it's farmers who are changing their farming practices uh, using what's called regenerative agriculture to store carbon in their soils. And then we sell that to buyers who are trying to be carbon neutral or carbon negative. And these are mostly uh, small and medium-sized businesses who have never bought carbon before. We sell to a lot of uh, crypto and blockchain companies, NFT marketplaces, that kind of thing. And then some larger corporate enterprises as well. And we're the marketplace that facilitates these transactions uh, to make it really easy for every side to come in and just make a transaction. And you, you talk about the importance of carbon removal as opposed to like being maybe carbon neutral, right? You're actually taking carbon out of the atmosphere and you're trapping it in the soil, right? And I'm wondering like, so you, you've chosen farming, right? Why farming? Why, why is farming the way to do this? Yeah, well, it's really just the first place. So we we consider ourselves agnostic to the different methods of removal, and we want market forces to figure out what is the most efficient and effective way to pull carbon out of the air. And if we're going to actually solve the climate change problem, then that means 
requiring about 1.5 trillion tons of CO2 coming out of the atmosphere. It's just a mind-bogglingly large number. So it's going to require more than just farming. But we started there because it is by far the most affordable and the most scalable method of removing carbon today. Generally, we break these out into nature-based solutions that are like farming, uh, planting trees, growing kelp, restoring mangroves in coastal areas. Those are typically easier and cheaper to scale, but they're much more difficult to measure and measure like how much carbon is actually being stored. And then there are industrial applications, so direct air capture, carbon-negative cement, uh, other construction materials, managed mine tailings. And these are typically going to be easier to measure, but they're extremely expensive today and very difficult to scale. They're resource intensive. They use a lot of energy. And a lot of the companies that are doing them are very early stage. So we started with soil carbon because it's the really the only thing out there available today that can scale up to the volume sizes that we're trying to reach, at least for right now. And so by starting with with, uh, with farming, right, it requires work. It requires the farmers maybe to change up the way that they usually do things. Maybe uh, maybe regenerative farming is what we're talking about here, where it's more intensive or maybe they, the, the farmers themselves have to buy new equipment. I don't know. Could you take me through that? Like, What is it that, that people are buying when they're buying these carbon removal credits? Are they subsidizing the farmers with part of that? Yeah, you know, I actually just got back a couple of days ago from a tour in Nebraska visiting uh, several of the farmers that we've worked with. And so I got to see firsthand like what exactly they're doing with equipment and that sort of thing. And so conventional agriculture means heavy tilling and plowing. So you uh, you basically plant your crop, you grow it, and then in the fall you harvest, and then you plow and you leave the field uh, fallow or empty throughout the winter. And then you repeat the process in the spring. And that has a negative effect of what's called soil erosion. Um, so the soil becomes less healthy. There's less organic matter in the soil, so microbes and fungi. And then it's easier for it to blow away in the wind or flood away, like impacted by floods and that sort of thing. So regenerative agriculture means uh, moving to uh, typically no-till or reduced tillage, where instead of plowing, they're trying to leave the soil mostly intact, and they might directly inject seed. So I got to see this very cool planter machine that this one farmer had where they are uh, it's more or less called a drill. Like they're, they're directly injecting the seeds into the ground without it already being like this nice kind of like a V-shaped soil bed. So they can use specialized equipment to do that. That does cost money. And then they are planting cover crops in the winter. So this might be rye or alfalfa or something like that, like low lying. And what it's doing is they're keeping roots in the ground because they're continuing to feed the organic matter, the microbes and the fungi. And when we're measuring how much carbon is being stored, it's it's actually that organic matter. The microbes and the fungi, that is the carbon. So uh, think about how in our own bodies, like we're some very large number just composed of uh, bacteria. And so you're increasing the amount of that flora and they're doing the same thing in the soil. Uh, so there are costs of switching to new equipment and then the cover crop seeds and so on. And it's also just kind of a generally new thing. And so there are lots of people who have been just doing it a certain way for a very long time. And it's um, they're sort of resistant to it. They'll likely see uh, decreased crop yields for the first few years, which is why a lot of people don't do it right away. And that's where paying them for carbon is a really great way to help bridge them through that. So when they're doing these practices, they can typically sequester about one half of one ton per acre per year, which 
is fairly significant because that means American croplands could sequester about 400 million tons of CO2 every year. And globally, it's maybe more around 5 billion tons of CO2 that could be sequestered. That's 10% of what our annual emissions are because we emit globally about 50 billion tons. So regenerative agriculture can play an extremely significant role in pulling carbon back out of the air. Yeah, I mean, 10% is big. And like you said, it could be one, one part of it, right? One part of the solution. That's what you're so basically the healthier your soil is, the more the soil is capturing carbon. I mean, that's that's kind of the premise. Yeah. And then eventually they'll increase their crop yields. It's better for the land. What I saw in Nebraska at one of these farms was they they had a, a storm earlier in the season where they got six inches of rain, which is just a crazy amount of water, right? And a lot of their neighbors saw their fields just completely washed out. But theirs uh, held on and there was there was damage, but it was not a total loss. And that's in part because when you increase the amount of organic matter, it's a more robust soil. It's less likely to blow away in the wind. It's it's going to feed the plants better. So it, this is better for their farm operation in the long run, too. So I guess to that end, I mean, you mentioned that, Nori, you know, you guys have a marketplace. You are a marketplace for these uh, carbon removal. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But how much of your job is is that is is actually convincing farmers in the Midwest or wherever they are, right? That maybe they can partner up with you and and convincing them to change maybe things that they've been doing for a hundred years in their family. Yeah. The thing with the carbon removal industry today is that it's significantly supply constrained. There's nowhere near enough carbon removal happening to meet the demands of companies that are trying to buy carbon today. So that's kind of a good spot to be in as a business, but it's also challenging. And so we do put a lot of emphasis on how we're recruiting farmers. I'm actually heading out to another conference next week to talk with farmers about like how our marketplace works and, and the, the the crypto aspects of it too. So yeah, uh, working with individual farmers, but then also working with bigger agricultural companies to can bring in larger sources of supply is a a big part of what we do. Let's get into kind of what, what it is exactly that you do. Your product is, and, and now let me make sure I've got it, the, the Nori removal ton, the NRT. Yeah. And so that's kind of how you measure uh, how much carbon you're taking out of out of uh, the atmosphere. What is the NRT? What does that measure? And, and, and why is it so central to, you know, to what you guys do? Yeah. So historically, carbon credits generally have been a commodity where one carbon credit is one ton of CO2, and those credits can be sold and then resold many times over. And uh, when I first got into this, when I first started researching carbon markets in 2015, the first thing that I tried to look up was how big is the market? Like how much money are people paying for carbon? What is the volume? And what I found was that the analysts broke out the overall market by primary sales and secondary sales. And I thought that that was strange because why would you even have secondary sales? Like if we're trying to remove more carbon from the air, you shouldn't be spending more money on the same ton that already happened. But in practice, what they're doing is they wanted a tradable commodity asset so that there could be commodities markets. It's in the same way, like commodities markets underpin everything. If you want to know what the price of wheat or corn or uh, oil is, you go look at different commodity reference prices that exist out there. That doesn't really exist for carbon, which is a problem. But the reason that carbon credits can be traded was an attempt to solve that, but it's never really worked. So what we do differently at Nori is we actually have two different assets. So there's the NRT, which you just described, and that's the certificate, that's the actual carbon credit. So one NRT is one ton of CO2 that's been removed and sequestered. And the NRT is actually an NFT, a non-fungible token. 
So when it's sold from the supplier, the farmer, to the buyer, then it becomes immediately retired, which is just carbon market language. That means that final buyer is taking final ownership. They're not allowed to resell it. They own it forever. And we do that on chain. So it just it's a non-transferable NFT. If we do that, though, then we don't have a tradable commodity asset. And then, then we have to ask the question, how do you figure out what the price of this should be? What is the price of a ton of CO2? In the same way, like if I ask you to go look up the price of oil today, you would probably go Google it and then you would see West Texas Intermediate or Brent Crude and they would say whatever the price is. But if you Google what the carbon price is today, you're going to get results to say from $1 to $140 to $1,500 and it's just all over the place. So what we need is more standardization so that people can understand what is the carbon price, then they can start building business models around it. If you're a farmer and you've been considering, I want to do this regenerative agriculture, I want to get paid for my carbon, how do I know that it's going to be worth it for me to go buy this new equipment? Or if you're going to be building a direct air capture business, like how do I, how can I forecast out? How can I tell my investors like this is, you know, the revenue that we anticipate receiving when we sell our carbon credits, like they don't have a way of doing that. So we have two assets. There's the NRT, and then there's the Nori token. And the NRT, when it gets sold, it's retired, they can't resell it. But the cost of one NRT will always be one Nori. So one Nori always purchases one ton of CO2, but the Nori price will fluctuate based on whatever supply and demand is for carbon. So that's what we're trying to build here is this commodity that can facilitate price discovery for what uh, the real value of a ton of CO2 removed is. Let's go through a hypothetical and maybe correct me if I'm wrong here. So I'm a company and I want to buy an NRT. So I would go get the NRT. I'd buy the NRT. Do I also hold the NRT token? So uh, you just come to Nori.com and um, you can buy NRTs right there directly through our website. And then the NRTs go to your wallet, and then they just sit there. There's nothing more that you can do with them. But you have a record of that, you, and you get a certificate that you can share with your your own customers or whoever. Yeah, and, and uh, we didn't really get into that. I mean, the, the benefits of, of doing that as a company. I'm wondering, like, so because I went into this thinking with the NFT, you could sell it on the open market if, say, I don't know, for whatever reason, let's say the, the, the value of carbon decreases and you kind of want to sell, sell off your asset, and then somebody else buys that for the duration of however long the NRT was supposed to last. So if I'm buying and I saw on your website, you know, 10 years worth of, of carbon removal from a farm, and let's say I'm three years into that, well, is it feasible for another company to buy that off of me and then have seven years left at a price that we agree on? Yeah. So that's where we just are trying to not do that basically, because we want a situation where every new dollar that is spent on carbon should result in net new carbon coming out of the air. Gotcha. Because when you're buying it, right, you're buying 10 years of of guaranteed, right? Yeah. So that's another thing is we offer a warranty to buyers that for 10 years, we will, if there's a, a loss of the carbon, we will go buy new NRTs on your behalf to make you whole. And this is to fix a problem that exists in the current offsets market where let's say you go buy uh, forestry credits through one of the offset registries. If that whole forest gets burned or cut down, you're screwed. There's like no recourse that you have. And big companies that are buying offsets are most afraid of that scenario because what they really don't want to happen is to go buy offsets and then they make a bunch of claims in their environmental reports that go out to shareholders. And then it turns out later that those claims didn't actually happen. 
So because of that, they put a lot of effort into diligence and research on the projects that they're buying. And that just drives up transaction costs. It makes it harder to scale. It makes it harder to develop new projects. And it's more expensive and difficult for them to buy offsets. So our solution to that is to say, well, forget it. You don't, don't worry about it. Like, we'll take care of you. If, if the carbon is lost or released back up into the air, our verification procedures will uh, catch that. And then we will go buy new NRTs for you. Taking a little step back, the companies, right? Why are companies getting into the market? Why should they be spending money basically to subsidize a farmer? And I guess a little cynic side of me says, you know, is there an environmental push there? Or is it more for, you know, kind of the marketing aspect of saying, you know, we're carbon neutral? Or can it be both? Yeah, I think it can can be both. I wouldn't necessarily describe it as subsidizing a farmer because it's more, if you emit a ton of CO2, you should pay for removing a ton of CO2. It's kind of that simple. And they're largely driven uh, by culture right now. So it, a lot of it is marketing. Certainly there are people, leaders at big companies who care very much about this issue personally. And that's why they're making decisions to put company resources towards it. But a lot of it as well is just that consumers are, want they're the brands that they buy from to be more sustainable. And there is now a sort of positive form of competition going on where companies are trying to outcompete with each other and say, you know, we're going to be more sustainable than our competitors. And so you should buy from us instead. And that's a good thing because we all benefit from that. So this is all everything that Nori does is entirely voluntary. There's no um, government requirements or mandates part of this. Yeah, for sure. And, and then, you know, I, the part the part of me is, you know, just, I guess, is, is saying and it's all good. You know, I'm wondering if sometimes like, and, and maybe, you know, it's just your commentary. If I get your insights on that, like if a company can kind of say, Hey, we're removing carbon from the atmosphere, which is great because we're releasing, let's say a hundred tons and we're buying back a hundred tons. But if it kind of maybe distracts from, you know, even more they can do like fixing their procedures. Yeah. Well, that's where price matters a lot. And so if we're able to see a carbon reference price, so, you know, the, the price of the Nori token, if that's more expensive than it is for them to decarbonize and reduce their emissions, then they're going to focus on reducing their emissions first, but they're never going to be able to get to zero. So there's always going to be a need to remove more carbon, right? And our tagline at Nori is emit less, remove the rest. Like they should be doing that. And so again, we just want market forces to sort this out because uh, right now they don't have a good way of doing that. And a lot of the leader, the leading companies that have been in the space for a while, who have been buyers in the space for a while, they've developed their own internal prices of carbon, but it's it's artificial and it's not based off of real market demand. So that's what the problem we're trying to solve. You're in the middle of solving that. Now. I was going to talk about that, the price of the Nori token. You said you started back in 2015. So you're seven years in, basically. Where are you in that process? Like, what is the price of, of an NRT, you know, of a Nori token? You know, how, how close are you to figuring that out? Yeah, well, the, the company was launched in 2017. And then in 2019, we spent the first couple of years developing our own methodology for how we would do measurement and verification on the soil carbon. And so we work with a third party partner that is using a US Department of Agriculture protocol for how they measure soil carbon. And that took a little while to kind of build out the software connections. And then we started selling carbon in 2019. And it was selling at $15 per NRT. And that was a fairly arbitrary price that was selected by the farmer who was selling those. And we initially launched where buyers are paying cash. So that's still the case today. Buyers pay cash per NRT. Then what's coming later, once we launch the Nori token, is we're going to transition away from that. So instead of having the price, which today is at $20 per NRT, it'll be not paid in cash, but it'll be paid in Nori tokens. And so, you know, one NRT will cost one Nori. Our revenue comes from a transaction fee that we charge of uh, 15%. So they would pay 1.15 Nori. 
Or they'll, if they want to pay cash, that's fine too. We can just facilitate in the background. But the suppliers are always going to receive one nori per NRT that they sell. And once the nori is live, then that's how we will uh, start seeing a reference price being established at whatever the price of that nori token is. So right now, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm like, I'm like, this is a bargain. So if you're telling me that for twenty dollars, a company can can buy one NRT, which is basically you, you told me it was like uh, one ton of carbon. It's one ton, yeah. For twenty dollars. Yeah. Well, it's all relative, right? I mean, part of what I was uh, doing on this tour in Nebraska was asking the farmers like, okay, right now the the money that you're getting paid for carbon is kind of like icing on the cake. How much does it need to be to be the cake itself? And they were sharing different numbers, like at least $40 or more, but that's, and that's what they hope to receive. But that's, I don't, I don't know. Will the market, you know, reflect that? Will the, will the demand side reflect that value? And these are the questions that everyone has right now and that different like academics try to study and stuff like that. Like the simplest way for us to solve this problem is to create a tradable commodity asset that everyone can coordinate around. You're saying, you know, right now you, you'd all, these businesses are buying for say $20 a nori, but who knows, you open up the marketplace and it could skyrocket. It, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. So when is the, the marketplace kind of come to fruition? We're hoping later this year. So just recently we launched our Discord community so people can go to nori.com slash token and then there should be a link there to sign up and get into this community and start learning more about this. We're trying to get our farmers in there as well so that people can talk to them and learn more about how their business operations work. And that'll be the place that people can kind of coordinate for this. And then later in the year, we will be launching the token with an initial liquidity launch using a, a thing that's called a balancer liquidity bootstrap pool. Uh, and so that will help facilitate the very early price discovery. And then we will go from there in terms of like kind of slowly turning it on so that the tokens are used in the app. So we're trying to take a very deliberate approach to this because we have an existing business. A lot of crypto projects will just launch tokens in the beginning and then go from there. But we have this existing business. People are getting paid right now. So we want to be very careful about how we turn everything on and make the transition. And you answered the question, I mean, people, individuals can go on and, and buy. This isn't just for businesses, corporations. That would make me basically want to track how much carbon I release, you know, in my day to day, you know, in, in a year. And then kind of go to you guys and be like, hey, you know, I'm trying to do my part here, I guess. So that, that's really cool. How about this other aspect that you talked? We talked about, you know, the, the Nori token being on the blockchain, being an NFT. How is that different, say, from taking a traditional route? Why the blockchain? Why the NFT? What are the advantages there? Well, part of it is that immediate retirement thing. So the way that the existing carbon credits industry works is there are a handful of different carbon offset registries. These are nonprofits, and they're basically a database of serial numbers that maintain the list of all the carbon credits that they've issued. And it requires manual reporting. So a broker will facilitate a sale from a supplier to a buyer, or they might facilitate a sale from a broker to another broker. And then they report back to the registry and say, hey, this person is now the new owner of this. That's a like very antiquated way of doing this. It's like paper driven. It's just very 20th century. Like we can do a lot better than that today. And so when we uh, do this, we put it on the blockchain so that it's very easy and visible and transparent for people to see. But then also we get the ability to just enforce in the software that immediate retirement. So the NFT, when it moves into the buyer's wallet, we make a change on it in the smart contract code that makes it impossible for it to move out of that wallet. It's just there forever. So that's a really great way to facilitate that. But then in addition to that, if we do that immediate retirement, we don't have a tradable commodity asset, like I was saying earlier. So that's the role that the, the Nori token plays. And like, 
the blockchain and cryptocurrency is just like the perfect technology uh, for this so that we can make all of these transactions publicly visible. People can see the volumes and prices paid. There is a lot of fraud that happens in the existing offsets market. And so this is a way to solve that problem too. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to like picture the, the, the models. I mean, the NRT being, the NRT being uh, retired immediately makes sense to me. So who holds the token in that transaction? So a buyer uh, could uh, go acquire tokens on some third-party crypto exchange, and then whatever price they pay for it is effectively their carbon price, right? Yeah. But And it could fluctuate. So let's say you buy the token and it's $10, and then a week later, the token is $15, and you want to buy your NRTs on that day. Well, it doesn't matter what the price of the Nori is on that day, like you, except for tax purposes, but you uh, you paid $10 for it. So that's your effective price. So you pay the supplier one Nori, and then you get the NRT. So now the supplier, the farmer has the Nori. And then if he or she believes that the carbon price will be higher in the future, then maybe they hold on to it. Uh, or if they want cash flow, then they sell it right away. And then we also use the tokens as an insurance mechanism for how we fulfill that warranty I mentioned earlier. So say you sell a 100 NRTs and you get paid 100 Nori. Well, maybe 20% of them, 30% is variable, uh, depending on the project, will be restricted or locked up over a, that 10-year contract term. And so if we discover, after you go through verification later on, that there's some sort of carbon loss, we'll claw back those restricted tokens and then use those to go buy new NRTs. And the reason that that matters is because if we did that with cash, we would be susceptible to price fluctuations. But one Nori will always purchase one NRT. So by clawing them back, we maintain that price parity and can fulfill that warranty more easily. That's fascinating to me. That, that gets clear to me. So now the suppliers are going to be the people or the farmers or, or you know, or maybe people, like you said, planting the mangroves. They're the ones that are going to be basically selling their the NRT yeah. for Nori. Okay. Yep. Yeah, they swap them. They, they swap the NRTs and they get Nori and then they do what they want with the Nori. They, they sell it or they hold it. Would this require, and I'm just throwing ideas out there, would this require farmers, say, to become familiar with the blockchain or would it be as easy as just listing something on eBay or something like that? Yeah. They'll have to be able to work with uh, crypto tools and wallets and that kind of thing, which is a, a new thing for them. But the the notion of having a commodity product that fluctuates in price, that's very familiar to them. That's what their business is. They're selling grain at, at different commodity prices. So that aspect of it, in fact, that was my, my biggest takeaway from all of these farm meetings last week was how excited they are to get the token because they want to see different price action. They're they're very sophisticated, savvy business people. And this is just another thing that they can work with. Amazing. At the moment, Paul, where are you involved? Like how many farms are Nori farms? Um, is there a certain part of the country that uh, that you're seeing more success in? Are you are you planning on going global? Um, and, and what other avenues are, are you looking at, like you mentioned before, for carbon removal? Yeah, so we are limited to working with suppliers in the US right now because of that tool I mentioned earlier. It's a USDA platform, so that only has USDA data. The challenge is we are dependent upon a third party to do the underlying scientific quantification stuff. And so that tool only works in the US and we don't have an existing partnership for someone outside the country. So we do want to expand globally. We just need to build up those partner integrations first. The farmer profile is typically a row crop farmer, so like corn, soy, wheat kind of thing. And they're mostly in the Midwest, but they are, in, um, we are getting more and more in other parts of the country. There have been 14 projects that have gotten fully to completion. There's another seven or so that are in verification right now. And then we have 
uh, some very large ones that are in the pipeline coming after. It's about 86,000 tons uh, that's been removed and sold. We've pre-sold another like almost 20,000, so it's over 100,000 now. And it's uh, around $1.5 million that have been paid out to farmers. Wow. And you've mentioned that some some big uh, transactions taking place. Are these farms that you're dealing with are family-owned farms? Are they you know lar- larger sort of corporate farms? The ones that we've worked with so far have almost always been family owned, but the way that they work is a lot of the times they own some of the land and they're leasing some of the land as well. Um, so they have to put all that together, which may, adds an interesting complication for us because we have to make sure that the landowner is okay with this ongoing carbon commitment. So that introduces um, some friction into the enrollment process. But we are working with bigger ag companies too, who are contracting with the individual farmers and that sort of thing. And that's helpful for us because then we can scale a lot faster because they have far more reach uh, working with many more farmers simultaneously. Paul, I mean, uh, it, it sounds awesome. Um, I think that that's something that anybody can get get behind, right, is improving the environment and even like trying to, you know, hold themselves, you know, accountable for the stuff that they're releasing into the environment and using something that's already there, right? It's a great model. So so thank you for explaining the, the whole the process of how the Nori token works with the NRT. I know you mentioned the marketplace is going to be open by the end of the year. Uh, that's exciting stuff. How else can can somebody you know kind of get involved? Can can they buy uh, NRTs right now, like in a pre pre sale kind of way? Yep. 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 Just go to nori.com. NRTs are there, and then uh, two ways: one, uh, join that Discord. So go to nori.com/token, and then there's a link there. Uh, but we also have for your podcast listeners, we have a couple podcasts as well. If people want to learn more, so one of them is called Reversing Climate Change. And that's more of a long form, typically an hour or so. Uh, interviews with people kind of working in this space tends to be a little more philosophical. And then the other show is called Carbon Removal Newsroom. And that one's far more practical. It's usually current events based. It's about 30 to 40 minutes. And it's a panel uh, show hosted by the woman who heads up supply methodology for our team. So she's talking, interviewing uh, different um, scientists, researchers, investors, entrepreneurs, and policy people, and talking about the latest news and what's going on in the world of carbon removal. I can say I, I went through a couple of those episodes, you guys, I mentioned it when I reached out to you, and uh, it's an excellent podcast. It's, it's so many interesting guests there. Um, so yeah, highly recommend. Thank you. Paul, thank you for being on the podcast. Great talking to you, and uh, uh, continue doing the great stuff you're doing. Thanks very much for having me. This was fun. It's amazing that soil can remove carbon from the atmosphere and that it's done by simply planting a few more overhang crops or leaving some more natural debris on the ground. I'm looking forward to the Nori Marketplace and I'm still amazed that for $20, the price of an NRT, you can remove one ton of carbon dioxide in 10 years. This is the equivalent of driving 23,000 miles in an average car. Thanks to Paul for coming on the podcast and talking about Nori. And as always, a big thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review or follow us on the streaming platform of your choice. Until the next time, take care.